Good morning, everybody. This particular message today is, um, is one of those messages that you'd like to give. I, I'm excited about it. I would like to uh, do it more and more and more. I'm, I'm kind of saddened this is the last service because um, there's so much to glean out of this particular place in Scripture. So would you please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6. We're only going to look at two verses, but I think you'll, you'll understand why as soon as we do. It is an amazing place in Scripture. You know when, when Anthony and, and the group sang just a little while ago, um, my soul, or my heart and my soul, I give you control. From the inside out, my soul cries out. It is, it is the cry, I hope, of our soul and our hearts that we want to be all that God wants us to be. Well, today, the title of this message is Our Conduct as Believers. It's, it's one of those places that we, we find that, that we can uh, really start to grasp. Uh, I'm going to sit for some of the service. My knees are killing me. And, and, and the doc says maybe I'm going to have to put a, you know, get new knees. And I, I think, you know, it's, it's like putting chrome wheels on an old jalopy. I mean, what, <laughs> what good would it do? Uh, but uh, I think I'm going to go through, I think I'll get through this. I think I will. But uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to sit a little bit because I've got to. <laughs> Anyways, this place in Scripture, you're going to, I think, fall in love with. Or, here's an or to it. It's going to challenge you to a place that you'll feel uncomfortable. I want you to know that's not my position. I, I do not want to make... That's not true. I, I, to make you uncomfortable, that's God's business. But if He wants to make us uncomfortable, that's fine with me. Uh, but I don't want to personally make you uncomfortable. I personally want to, that, that you and I would see what is God saying to us at this moment in time. If you're at first... If you're at 1 Timothy chapter 6, I want you to read with me, and then I want us to find, uh, in a second, I'll allow you to do that, Colossians, which is just to the left a little bit. But let's first read 1 Timothy 6, verses 1 and 2, and we're not going to pray until I get through the introduction, which is only a couple of pages, you'll, you'll see. Paul writes to Timothy and to us in chapter 6, verse 1, saying, Let all who are under the yoke of as slaves, regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and our doctrine may not be spoken against. That's an amazing statement. Verse 2, And let those who have believers as their masters not be disrespectful to them because they're brethren, but let them serve them all the more, because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. And then Paul ends by saying, teach and preach these principles. That is my desire for this morning. To the best of, of our ability that we would preach and teach these principles. What principles? Well, I think you're going to see in a moment. Now would you please hold your place here in First Timothy and turn with me to the left. You'll go past the book of 2 Thessalonians and 1 Thessalonians, and you'll find Colossians. It's just to the left a little bit. Look with me at the third chapter. 
I want to tell you a little story about this particular place in Scripture. It was uh, a few years ago, quite a few now, that, uh, that I was hearing from, from the ballplayers. This was before I was in the church ministry. I was working in the clubhouses. And I was hearing from the ballplayers a, 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 a kind of a common lament. Um, the lament was, these guys were getting paid now more money than they ever believed possible. Uh, all of a sudden, the, 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 the salary of, for ballplayers was getting ramped up to the place where guys thought they were feeling uncomfortable with the monies that they were making, feeling what is the purpose in what they do? Is there any way that they could do what they are doing and still honor God? They, they were getting paid for something that they would do for free. And that is grab a bunch of guys, get out in a field, and play a game that they were playing since they were little boys that they just absolutely loved. And now they were getting absurd amounts of money to play. And they were wondering, what is our purpose? And I, hearing that lament, I, I, I came to the ball club at Dodger Stadium once, I remember specifically, and, and, and preached the message out of Colossians chapter 3, where we are right now, verses 22, 23, and 24 trying to give them a purpose in their life for, for, for playing ball. It says, slaves, that means employees, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth. Masters meaning employers. But not with external service as those who merely please men, but with a sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. That, that means respecting or or, or showing respect or love unto the Lord. And so you're, you're to obey those who are over you, but, but not with external service, just trying to please them, but do it with a sincerity of your heart, fearing the Lord. Key verse, verse 23. Whatever you do, it says, do your work heartily as for the Lord, rather than for men. And why? Verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance. Look, it is the Lord Jesus Christ whom you serve. After the, the service was over with the ballplayers, one of the guys came up to me and said, where is that in Colossians that we looked? And he had a Bible and we found it in his Bible and mine. And, and he says, I, I'm going to do something about that. I said, what? He said, well, you'll see. And I came back the following week and he had made a, somebody had made for him a plaque. I mean, it wasn't just a plaque. It was, it was carved out of wood. It was really beautifully done. And it had this verse, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. And he all of a sudden saw the purpose in his life of playing baseball, that he could absolutely play baseball and still honor the Lord. And he put it up in his locker and he told me that he was going to take it on every road trip and hang it up on every locker that he was at, just to remind himself why he was playing baseball. I just think that's, a, that's kind of a lesson of what I would like to say in, to all of us this morning. This particular message is a reminder for you and me that whatever we do, we are to do it heartily as unto the Lord, knowing it is the Lord Jesus Christ whom we serve. What Paul wants you and me to know out of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, is that there's no aspect in your life or my life, regardless of how 
insignificant we might think it appears. That should not be directed and done to glorify the Lord our God. Remember, never forget that whatever you do, you ought to do it heartily as unto the Lord rather than for man, because it is the Lord Jesus Christ, hopefully, whom we serve. Now Paul reminds us of that truth again in in, in 1 Timothy. In verse 1 he says, All who are under the yoke as slaves, there you you are to regard your master as worthy of all honor. Why? Why honor those we work for? So that the name of our God and our doctrine, the gospel, will not be spoken against. Do you understand that there is, a, there is a definite purpose in our lives. There is a reason for us to draw breath in the morning. There is a reason for us to be excited about this day that the Lord has given us to live. We can live it so that hopefully we do it in such a fashion, live in such a fashion, so that the name of our God and our doctrine, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, will not be spoken against. How do we do that? Well, I would like to try to explain in the next few minutes. You see, the true value of your life and my life is to be lived in such a fashion that we honor the Lord our God. In all that we come in contact with, whether it be at work or at play, let me tell you a story. And I know this is a little bit frivolous maybe, but let me tell you this story. Kay begged me to go on vacation We ended up going on vacation to Europe. I will recommend to any couple here, if you can afford it, take a trip to Europe with your wife, gentlemen. It is, it'll be, at least in my experience, it was, it was, it was life-changing. I love my wife with all my heart. I, I, I understand. I get it. I am honored to be the husband of that woman. But I really realized it in Europe. When we were in Paris, it was unbelievable. We went from Paris to Rome. And while we were at Rome, I asked Cape, you know, they make leather goods in Rome. Let's, let's find me a leather jacket. So we went to the, the front desk and we asked the, the man at the front desk, is there a good leather shop here that you can direct us to? We heard a voice behind us saying, I know a great place. What was the guy's name? I forget. I always forget. David something. Green something. Was it? Maybe not. David was this man behind us. He said, he showed us a jacket that he had. He said, I got it there. He even told us who to ask for when we got there. So we go to this place and, and, and we look at some of the jackets. And, and to be honest with you, they were a little bit too expensive for my taste. So I did decide not to get it. But he said to us when we, when we left, when you come back, he says, show me what you bought. So when we came back, he was sitting in the lobby still, this gentleman David, and went to him and thanked him and said, well, we didn't find anything just what, what, what right now. But he said, well, will you have dinner with me tonight? We said, yes. So we're going, walking down the road and asked him, what do you do? And he said, look around. What do you mean, look around? He said, Look. We looked, and, and there were posters of him everywhere. 
This guy, <laughs> this guy was the maestro of the symphony orchestra of Rome and Europe. He, he traveled all over Europe leading these great, great symphonies. And, and he was in Rome doing, um, what was it? Do you remember? Okay. Huh? Don Quixote. And he was leading the ballet of Rome doing Don Quixote. While we were at dinner, we started to talk about our faith. He asked me, what do you do? He asked us, what do you do? And I said, pastor of church. And we started sharing the gospel with him. I don't ever remember sharing the gospel as clearly to any human being more in my life than I did with David. While we were sitting with him, he says, well, my mother and my father would love you. I said, why is that? They were missionaries, were they not? Or they worked with Salvation Army. He says, they've been begging me to go to church. Says, I've given up on God. We tried to convince him that that was the most stupid thing he could ever think of doing. Of giving up on God. Look at you, you're a maestro. You, you have all of these privileges. You've been raised by two wonderful people, it appears. And you've given up on God. When we were walking home, he invited us to come the next day to the rehearsal they were going to have at the opera house that we could go backstage and watch the rehearsal. Kay and I, man, we couldn't wait for them. It was like Christmas Eve waiting for Christmas morning. We wanted to see what this is like. We went to the opera house, and we were standing this close to some of the greatest athletes I've ever looked at in my life, these men and women who could dance. They were, they were like thoroughbreds. They, they were sitting on the floor. Their legs were all spread out. They could touch their heads. I mean, these, you talk about people that were in shape, and, and this gentleman afforded us the ability to go backstage and see all of this and then invited us to the concert that evening and we were on our way to another part of Italy and we couldn't go but I tell you that story only for this one reason I honestly believe as much fun as we had in Europe that God sent Kay and I to Europe to talk to this guy David I believe that I believe that with all my heart now I don't know what happened to him I don't know if he went to church. I don't know. But man, I'll tell you, I, I've never challenged a person more strongly than I challenged him to think and consider his faith and come to Christ. I, I even, I think, if I remember correctly, I asked him if he wanted to pray to receive Christ with me over a plate of lasagna or whatever we were eating. And he wasn't ready. But I know we made his mom and dad very, very pleased. And I know that we were an answer to his mother and dad's prayers. You see, the true value of your life and my life is not to be lived frivolously. It's to be lived so as to somehow, way, honor the Lord our God in all that we come in contact with, whether at work or at play. And so Paul is reminding us here in 1 Timothy that we are to live under the yoke as slaves regarding our master's Worthy all of all honor, so that, so that the name of our God and our doctrine, our gospel, may not be spoken against. When you walk out of here in the next 20, 25 minutes, I pray that you will believe that with all of your heart 
And I pray that somehow, some way, God will see and free you up to whatever it is that you do, that you do it heartily as unto the Lord rather than men, knowing that it is the Lord Jesus Christ whom you and I so privileged to serve on this, our life, this fleeting life that we live. Father in heaven above, would you please make sense of this message? Would you please, Father, by your grace, pull things together so that we might hear from your heart? May each of us here sense, Father, your presence amongst us. Would you fill this place with the very essence of who you are? And Father, would you open up our eyes, our minds, and our hearts so that we might behold wonderful things from your law? For those of us who have become complacent about our faith, thinking that our life is insignificant, may we find, Father, a purpose a purpose for each of us, regardless of how insignificant our lives may be. Father, may we know that there is a greater purpose in our lives, and that is so that nobody, nobody by the grace of God may speak against the name of our God and our doctrine because of how we live. Bless us, please, Father. Move me aside, I beg of you, Father. I pray these things in the name of your Son, Father, our, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, whom we love at this church so much. Bless us, Father, please. In your Son's name, amen. Okay, let's talk about, maybe not for you, but for me, the elephant in the room. It's the word slavery. When I read that, I... I kind of felt a little bit of a twinge in my heart. Let me just explain. In the first century, slavery was an integral social component of the Roman Greco world. Slaves were employees. But to understand biblical slavery, biblical slavery, not slavery, what does God say about slavery? We must strip away any preconceived notions that we may have concerning the word slavery. You see, biblical slavery is nothing like slavery that, that we experienced in the United States of America or around this world as we see slavery today. The day that this letter was written, permanently employed domestic slaves served within a family as managers, as stewards within the home. They became a part of the household, and most of them were treated as family. You could read in Luke chapter 16 and, and find that out. The system, slavery, was not perfect, but it was workable. But as with most things in this world in which you and I live, the abuses of slavery came from the evil hearts of mankind, not from the institution itself. Not certainly from God's point of view. You see, the Old Testament never forbade that they have slaves. But God carefully guarded the right 
of every single one who was called a slave. For instance, in, in Exodus chapter 21, verses 2 through 6, and in Exodus chapter 21, verse 26 and 27, and in Exodus 20, verse 10, let me give you three very wonderful for instances. For instance, in Exodus 21, verses 2 through 6, a Jewish slave could not be held for more than six years. At the end of the period of time of six years, they, the slaves, could leave the family that, that had them working there, or, or they could choose to voluntarily stay with that family. That's Exodus 21, verses 2 through 6. In Exodus chapter 21, verses 26 and 27, any slave that was mistreated, abused by his master or her master, were to be immediately set free. They were not to be held any longer. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 10, we learn that the religious rights of every slave... For instance, if they were Jewish, they were to rest on the Sabbath just like anybody and everyone else in that household was to rest. They were not to be put to labor. That day was to be honored from the slaves as well as those in the household. You see, Jewish slaves in the New Testament, not the Old, was protected just as much. They were treated like family Actually, they were treated like the eldest son, which was the high honor and high privilege within the family of a Jewish family. Gentile slaves, not so much. No, they, they were not as well treated. But on a whole, they were better off than day laborers. They were given food. They were given clothing. They were housed. They were given a small wage. And they were given security. Now, what does the word slave mean? Biblically, it is the word D-O-U-L-O-S. It means a person who is in submission to another person. But this position was not to have an, a negative implication, not, a, not at all. In fact, it was supposed to be a noble label. I mean, there is a good feeling about being under the authority of another person. I personally like it. It describes Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7, it said, Our Lord, Jesus Christ, emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant, doulos, D-O-U-L-O-S, and being made in the likeness of men. The same thing is true of us, believers. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16, Act as free men. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but rather use it as a bond slave, doulos, of God. You see, the word slave, doulos, is, is used about 150 times in the New Testament. And it speaks of a believer's slavery, or better, obedience to his Lord. Now, I want you to see this example. It is the best, in my opinion, example of what, what it means to understand 
to be a doulos, D-O-U-L-O-S. Would you turn with me to the first book in the New Testament, Matthew, the eighth chapter. Now I'm going to wait for you to turn there now because this is a wonderful story. Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 8 starts off by healing people who are leopards. It says in verse 2 of chapter 8, while you're turning there, we're not getting to the point yet. The point is in, starts in, cha- in verse 5. But in chapter, verse 2 it says, A leopard came to Jesus Christ and bowed down to him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now folks, it was, it was literally impossible to reverse leprosy. Once you caught leprosy, it was just a, 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 a disease that went down, down, down. And so he asked the Lord, he says, If you're willing... You can make me clean. And the Lord looked at him, stretched out his hand, touched him and said, I am willing. Be cleansed. Verse 5 is the issue. There was a centurion. He was a a Gentile officer in the army. And he, when Jesus came into Capernaum, where he was, this centurion came to Jesus Christ and entreated him by saying in verse 6, Lord, My servant, Dulos, is lying paralyzed at home, suffering great pain. The Lord said to him in verse 7, I will come and I will heal him. To which the centurion answered and said to him in verse 8, listen to these words, listen to it, and and see if you and I cannot somehow, someway make our lives like this centurion. The centurion said to him, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus said later on, I want to jump a couple of verses. In verse 10, when Jesus heard this man say what he said, he marveled and said to those who were following him, He said, truly, in verse 10, I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in all of Israel. Here's what the centurion said concerning the word doulos. In verse 9, after he told him, I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. Just say the word, my servant will be healed. He says in verse 9, because... I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. What he was saying, the centurion, is what every one of us here can say. There are people who are under our authority, and we are under other people's. We have people who who come to us, and and people we're accountable to. Almost everybody's life, that is a, a truism. And so the centurion saying clearly to the Lord, I am under authority, And I have soldiers who are under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And I say to another, come, and he comes. And he says, I say to my slave, do this, and he does it. I want you to get something from that example that this man is saying to Jesus Christ. He says, I understand what it means to be a servant. I understand what it means to have someone Follow my orders. I get it. So Lord, you don't have have to come to my home. 
I'm really unworthy for you to come to my home. Just say the word. I know it'll take place. I get it, Lord. That's what made Jesus said, truly I say to you, I've not seen faith like this in all of Israel. This man got it. He understood what it means or what it meant to be a slave. It meant faithful obedience. You see, if you want to go back, please with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we won't turn, well, we'll go a couple of places, but you don't have to turn so much anymore. But the word doula, slave or servant, was a person who was obligated to his or her master and also faithfully obeyed their commands. All right, let's take a look at the other word. We took a look at the word servant, slave, doulos. Let's take a look at the word master. What does that look like as far as the Bible is concerned? It is from the word D-E-S in Greek, D-E-S-P-O-T-E-S. We get our English word despot. Now, I looked up the word despot. It's, It's not such a great word. The English word does not carry with it the same example as the Greek word does. The English word is, has the connotation of being a dictator or harsh or cruel or abusive or a tyrant. That's not what the Bible says about someone who is a master. You see, the, the word master is used of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in 2 Timothy 2.21. We are told, if anyone cleanses himself, it says in 2 Timothy 2.21, If anyone cleanses himself from these things, these things meaning all the things that that Paul wrote in 2 Timothy up to that place, if we cleanse ourselves from these things, we will be like a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful for our master, that means Jesus Christ, prepared for every good work. And so when we come to the word slave, it's not like we think here in the United States of America, at least some of you might think. And and when we come to the word master, it's not someone who lords his position over another. So it says in 1 Timothy 6, verse 2, those who have a believer as their master or someone who is authority over them, an employer, they must not be disrespectful to them just because they're brethren, but that must serve them all the more. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as unto the Lord rather than men, knowing it is the Lord Jesus Christ whom you and I serve. So we are to teach and preach these principles, Paul says. This applies to every single one of us who are under the authority of another, who is therefore called our master. And Paul teaches that there is a bond of duty that we must give to that person. There is also taught within Scripture a bond of duty upon the employer as well, the master as well. We, the master is, supposed to treat the employer fairly because the Bible cuts both ways. We are to teach and preach these principles. What principles? Listen. Listen to what Peter says about 
this very issue in 1 Peter. If you want to, you can turn there. 1 Peter 2, verses 18, 19, and 20. It's really something. Because Peter puts an even more stronger twist upon this being a servant. He says in verse 18 of 1 Peter 2, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect. Watch now what he says. Not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. You've got to be kidding me, Peter. I mean, are you, are you joking? Why? Why would we treat with respect and submit someone who is unreasonable? Verse 19. This will find favor. Favor with who? That's a good question. He answers in verse 20. Let me finish verse 19 though. This will find favor if for the sake of conscience towards God a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. Verse 20 gives us the answer. For what credit is there if when you sin and you are harshly treated, you endure that with patience? In other words, it's saying, look, at what you've sinned. You've got caught in sin. You are treated harshly. What good does it do you to, to act like you've done something noble by dealing with that in, with patience? You should be dis disciplined. But... End of verse 20. But if when you do what is right, and you suffer for that, and you patiently endure that suffering, this will find favor with who? Not your employer. This finds favor with God. What we are learning through this example in 1 Timothy 6 verses 1 and 2 is the reason that we are to honor good, and as Peter tells us, even bad masters. This is critical now. So that we will find favor with God in doing what we're doing, and so that the name of our God and our doctrine may not be spoken against. That is the purpose for you and me to draw breath today. To honor the Lord our God with the way we live. Our attitude and our behavior in our daily relations, whether at work or at play or whatever it is that you are doing, will affect how people perceive your God and your doctrine, the gospel. That's why I think back over our trip to Europe and, and meeting with this guy, David, which, which I felt, if you only knew how I don't normally do stuff like that, which I felt that our trip to Europe was part and parcel of talking with this man, having a wonderful meal. I mean, we had, I mean when we walked into that restaurant, everyone there knew him. This guy was something else. And I believe that God had my wife and I meet him for a purpose. I would love to know that he is walking with God now, but I don't know. Only God knows that, and that's best. Leave it in God's hands. But your life and my life is to be lived with a purpose in mind. 
not just to haphazardly go here and there with your life and, and do this or that with your life, but to really to make your life a purpose. I mean, let me remind you what we talked about in the, in the last couple of weeks. Israel became disobedient to the Word of God. They became insubordinate, and they were unwilling to obey His commands, to take the gospel and to, to pass it on to the world. They kept it enclosed. And so Paul wrote about them, you, in, in Romans chapter 2, verses 23 and 24, he says, you who boast in the laws, talking to the Jews, through your breaking the law, talking about their being disobedient, you dishonored God. Listen to what, what Paul says after that in Romans 2, verse 24. He says, because the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. You remember a couple weeks ago when I taught that we have replaced Israel in taking the message of God to the world because they, Israel, were disobedient. And I taught this age in which you and I now live is called the church age. The church, we, and other churches hopefully will choose to be the channel through which God's truth will flow into the world. That's our responsibility. We have temporarily replaced Israel because of their apostasy, their disobedience. Romans 11 tells us that. In fact, in verse 11, I read to you last week, God says Israel did not stumble as to fall. He says, but by their transgressions, Israel's transgressions, salvation has come to, the, to us, the Gentiles, to make the Jews jealous or angry. Therefore, you and I, the church, we're to maintain a purity and a power that can penetrate through the kingdom of darkness into the glorious light of God. We are to be the light into this world. We're to be the visible form of the body of Christ, if you can imagine. Some people will never, ever see the insides of a church. They have no idea what we do in here. And they don't want to know. And the only picture of Jesus Christ that they may ever, ever see will be your life and my life. How intimidating is that, I ask you? I don't like to say that personally. I don't particularly like saying that I want to be the light of Christ to this world. Now that I don't mind. But to imitate Christ, to be the only picture of Christ that some people might see? Okay, I can be like Paul. I can be like David. Both of them sinned. Both of them were reprehensible individuals. Both of them had to go to the very foot of the cross for the forgiveness of their sins. But Jesus, he's perfect. Not perfect. More than likely, neither are you. More than likely, it was supposed to be a joke. <laughs> That's why I know 1 John 1, 9 by heart. If, if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. The reason I know that so well is because I go to him with that prayer all the time. I remind him, it's me again. Forgive me. Forgive me of my sin. I relate to that person. To be the glimpse of Jesus Christ to this world, that's a tall order. But the purpose of you and me to be alive is to reveal the glory of God and draw people to our Savior. So it is 
As Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, so it is with you and me in our workplace. Peter summed it up beautifully. I said two weeks ago in 1 Peter 2, 9, or last week, he said, you're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people for God's own possession so that, so that you and I may proclaim the excellencies of Him to this world in which we live. We are called to do what Israel refused to do. We can't refuse it. We've got to step up to the plate and do what God's called us to do. At least that's my plea for you today. We have a divine commanded responsibility, and that is to live out our faith in the workplace, in our homes, and when we are at play. With an attitude of submission and respect, especially, especially, Paul says, when we perform our work. Why? It's amazing, but it is God's plan. Obviously, it is essential to yours and my faith. When we proclaim the gospel to those we come in contact with, we proclaim the goodness of our God and the doctrine which we believe in. And we might proclaim it to some who never will ever step foot in a church. Your life, my life, might be the only Bible that they will ever see. Your life and my life may be the only church that they even comprehend. And your life and my life, yes, might be a glimpse of our Savior, Jesus Christ, if you can imagine. Some might never see. Therefore, we will be obedient, respectful, even to those who might be unkind, because this will find favor with God. And as verse 1 says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, we will honor those who are our employers so that the name of our God and our doctrine may not be spoken against our God. That's the responsibility of your life and my life. I told you I love this place in Scripture. I love this place in Scripture because I guess from youth I was driven, driven for a purpose in my life. I wanted to do something with it. When I was young, I wanted to be an athlete. Now that I'm old, I want to be the best preacher that I could possibly be. I want to fulfill God's plan in my life. I want to feel like even though I'm old and can barely walk sometimes, I have a purpose for living. And that is to represent my Lord and my Savior to the best of my ability, and I want to give it to you. I want you to sense that in your life. I want you to, to know that there is nothing so insignificant that you do, even a glamorous trip to Europe can be used for the glory of God if you're willing. I really pray that you are. It will be, if you understand 
hopefully what God is saying to your heart right now, the most amazing journey you'll ever experience. To think, to think that you represent God today. You're his ambassador. You're his light. You're the Bible, the church, the glimpse of Christ that some might not ever see. Father, please, let us see that our life means something. And we come to church here. It's not just a church. As Shelley so beautifully explained and Alma so beautifully explained, there is a purpose in this building. We sell script. We have children care. We do Christmas things. And there is a purpose. And that is to glorify our Lord and our God, you, Father through your Son. It is a marvelous place to live, to have purpose. Oh, Father, fulfill that in in our lives if if the people here pray pray that prayer. Fulfill it in every one of us, Father, if that's the choice of the people here. I ask that of myself, Father. Intimidating as it is, I ask that of myself. Bless us, Father, as we go from here. Thank you so much for this church. Thank you so much for these people. God, bless them. And and dear Father, allow us somehow, someway to be a blessing to you today. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.